in God, I live, breathe, and have my very existence. But can I share something with you? And this is no surprise to anybody. Although we are in him, we have to ask ourselves, do we always obey him? Do we not have the power to disobey? Do we not have the power to rebel? And it's so unfortunate is that there are those who are in him who rebel against him in him. How do you think he's going to deal with that? This is one of the reasons why judgment has to come. Judgment is going to be for the believers and the unbelievers. The unbelievers will have to deal with that lake of fire. Believers have got to deal with that. They got to give an answer and account for the works they have done, for the words we have spoken. We're going to have to give an account for every idle word we speak. And so it's important that as a believer, we walk upright, accordance, circumspect, according to his instructions, his commandments, according to his word. Grace does not excuse rebellion. Grace does not excuse grieving the Holy Spirit. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, when you rebel, when you disobey, you have to confess, you have to acknowledge. And he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. What if you don't acknowledge? What if you don't confess? What if you continue in your rebellion after you have come and call yourself a son, call yourself a daughter? By grace are you saved. What if you continue to rebel in him? I wouldn't take that chance. I would encourage you to repent. Now to repent is to acknowledge that you're wrong. And here's where many in him are in trouble. Because they don't have to, in their mind, repent for not keeping the Sabbath because they're not under the law in him. They don't have to repent for eating unclean because they're not under the law in him. They're under grace in him. <laughs> you see, it's a dangerous place to be, brothers and sisters. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Loaded down with as much food as they could carry, the sons of Israel departed from Egypt, headed back to the land of Canaan, only to be apprehended for theft by the servant of Joseph. The stage has been set as the plan of Joseph comes into full view. The brothers are gripped with fear, not knowing what is about to happen. Joseph then reveals himself to his brothers as Savior, Father, Ruler, and Lord. Today's study title is Joseph, the Lord of Egypt. So, let's study. Today's message is Joseph, Lord of Egypt, and we're going to see the variety of ways that the Almighty has moved in the life of Joseph and how he gave Joseph a variety of responsibilities. And many of those responsibilities are listed in this teaching tonight. As loaded as they could with as much food as they could carry, the sons of Israel departed from Egypt. They headed back to the land of Canaan before being apprehended for theft by the servant of Joseph. The stage, as we stated last week, was now set as the plan of Joseph comes into full view. Now, up until this point, Joseph had been piecemealing. He was seemingly receiving this plan as time was moving, and it appears that he didn't fully understand how the plan would unveil. But tonight, that plan unfolds as Joseph now makes himself knowledgeable to his brothers. Judah has bargained with Joseph to take him as a prisoner and let Benjamin go. If you remember last week when uh, Joseph put his cup in Benjamin's sack and it was discovered, then Benjamin was to be taken prisoner and would stay with Joseph in Joseph's house. 
And if you missed last week's teaching, we encourage you to watch that teaching because now as Judah is recognizing that Joseph has been found with the cup, he's got to face the fact that they got to return home without Benjamin, knowing that Israel has already declared that if Benjamin didn't return, then it would take him to his grave. And so Judah now faced with that decides that he's going to bargain with Joseph, negotiate with Joseph and make himself prisoner instead of Benjamin. Joseph now is overcome by the fact that Judah is putting himself out there like that. And so witnessing Judah's love for his father, Israel, sacrificing himself and the possibilities of not seeing his own children again. Joseph is deeply moved by Judah's gesture to the point he could no longer contain his emotions. And so at this particular point, Joseph now reveals himself as the brother they sold. In Genesis 45, one, it says, then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by and he cried. And there stood no man. Well, let me go back. He cried because every man, he caused every man to go out from me. And so what we see here is that Joseph is now overcome with emotion. He clears the room. All of the Egyptians, even his own translator, the interpreter, the one who had been communicating for Joseph to his brothers, he commands them all to leave the room. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. So the only people that was in the room at this point was Joseph and his brothers. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard Now this is some loud cry. <laughs> now understand that where Joseph lived was uh, in the land of Goshen. So what it means here is that there was some in the house of Joseph that heard but the word got to Pharaoh that Joseph now is crying out in his house. And Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him for they were troubled <laughs> at his passage. Now you got to understand there's a lot of years that have passed. They were convinced that Joseph was dead. His father, they're told, was dead. Uh, Benjamin believed his brother was dead. And all of a sudden, this one who they thought was dead is now revealing himself as their brother. So they could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into Egypt. Now understand something, as I'm going to point out here in a moment, they didn't sell Joseph into Egypt. They sold Joseph to human traffickers. They had no idea where they would take Joseph. Joseph comforts his brothers and let them know that what they meant for evil, Jehovah worked it to their good. For it was part of his plan to save Israel. Now, therefore, verse five, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For Elohim, God did send me before you to preserve life. And so here, Joseph is sent. Now they sold him, but Jehovah navigated the path, the trail to where he would end up. The famine had lasted for two years and had five years remaining. And so for these two years had the famine been in the land, Joseph is saying to his brother, yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. Now, what we see here is it doesn't mean that things will not grow because we've already identified last week and the week before that when Israel sent his sons back to Egypt. He told them to take nuts, pistachios, almonds, fruit, honey, and some other items, balm. He told them to take these things up to Joseph, the best. And so 
The fruit continued to produce. The vines continued to produce. It was that which was planted. So the seeds that were planted for barley, for wheat, for any kind of grain, the famine was so bad that there was nothing that was going to be planted and brought to harvest, but that which was already reproducing after its kind would continue. The fruit trees weren't barren. The grapevines weren't barren. It's just that they couldn't plant. And this is what he's saying. Yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. There won't be stuff growing out of the ground that we can go forth and harvest as it relates to the things that are being planted. And so Joseph now reveals himself as a deliverer. And here, and God sent me before you, notice here, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives, to save your lives by a great deliverance. Now, I had to pause on this for a minute because, you know, when, when I see what father did, now he sent Joseph to Egypt, but look at how he did it. Look at the things that occurred in the process. It reminded me some of the Psalms who talked about Messiah, how even it was written concerning him, how father took pleasure in bruising him, how by sending him and taking pleasure, but he knew the outcome. Joseph faced difficulty. Joseph faced rejection. Joseph faced abuse. Joseph faced being a prisoner, a slave. He faced accusations, false accusations against him because of his position, his lowness. All of these things was for the purpose of getting him to a place that he might preserve future generations. And as I reflected on this and started thinking, because In a sense, we can all place ourselves in Joseph's shoes to some degree. And I'll I'll show you what I mean by that here going forward. The brothers sold Joseph, but it was Jehovah that sent Joseph to Egypt by way of the human traffickers or those who purchased and sold human beings, slave sellers. The slave sellers, the human traffickers, the slave owners took Joseph up to Egypt. They took him. Father permitted it to happen. He sent him to Egypt for the purpose of preserving Israel, for the purpose of saving Israel. And notice it wasn't just Israel that came up to buy grain. The Bible focuses on Israel, but people of other nations because the famine affected all of the nations. And so what Joseph went through was not just for Israel, but for the world. The world was preserved by the act of the Almighty in causing one man to be rejected, to be abused, to be despised. And you may not recognize the hand of the Almighty that is associated with what you are going through. You may not have a clue. All you can see is what you're going through. Your emotions is focused on what you are dealing with, what you're going through, not knowing that father has a plan. And even besides all of that, knowing that everything that you deal with, everything that you go through, all of what you are experiencing, father has already promised he's going to work it out. So why are we, why are we panicking? Why are we worried? Experiencing these things causes anxieties, causes oppression, causes depression, could generate fear, not knowing, not seeing the outcome. All of these things are the here and now. But all you got to do is reflect on what he has brought you through. Because this ain't the first time you're facing difficulties. 
This is not the first time you're facing hardship. This is not the first time that you're experiencing anxieties. It's not the first time worry and fear is trying to grip you. You've been there before. It didn't get you then. And now that father is with you, he's more than the world against you. So if it didn't get you when you weren't walking with him, how much less is the opportunity for it to get you now? Unless, of course, you give in to it. It is a shame to know the word and not do what the word says. Even when we didn't know the word, we had enough faith and will to keep moving forward. We didn't lay down and die. We didn't didn't give in. We kept moving. Like one person said some time ago, if you're going through hell, don't stop. (laughs) Keep moving. Eventually you'll be through it. You'll be through that only to find yourself having to go through other times that may feel like hell or even worse. But the good news is that no matter where you're going, no matter what you're going through, he's right there in it with you. And so Joseph now is on a slave caravan headed to Egypt, not knowing that father is going to take this and make him one of the most powerful men in the world. Joseph had to go through what he was going through to get to where father was taking him. He had to send him to a place, take him through some stuff to make him the man that he ultimately became. There are people Jehovah has sent before us. We are being sent before those who are yet to come if Messiah tarries. And this is why you got to understand that what you are going through, what you're dealing with is much bigger than you. And if you simply focus on you, if you simply focus on your hardship, what you're experiencing, you've already ignored the fact that the Almighty is right there in the midst of it with you. So you have to take your eyes off of what you're going through. Disconnect yourself, if you would. Divorce yourself from the emotions that you are experiencing that is trying to get you to operate out of your emotions instead of being led by his spirit. Because if you are in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, you just got to remember it's only a shadow. No matter how real it looks, it's only a shadow. Now, that's a good time to think about shadow pictures. Joseph reveals to his brothers that Jehovah had made him to be a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his house, and ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Look at this next verse, brothers, sisters. So now it was not you that sent me hither. Now, notice what he says because it changes. And God sent me before you. Now, before that, it says, Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me here, that you sold me here, hither. (laughs) For God did send me before you. And so he's saying, you sold me here, but it wasn't you who sold me here. It was father. And as I pointed out, they sold him to Ishmaelites or Midianites. The Bible seems to indicate it was both, and we we dealt with that. The fact is, is that that caravan was seemingly in the timing of it all, because it came along at a time (laughs) when all this was going on. And we have to look at the stuff that's going on around us, because if you only focus on what you're going through, you won't see what is going on around you. But what was going on around them is this caravan came seemingly at the right time to bring him out because they were thinking about what killing him. And so the caravan saved him. It's like father sent the caravan at the right time to take him. So now he says in verse eight, it was not you that sent me here but God, and he has made me a 
father to Pharaoh. Now, you know, I find this to be interesting because what he's saying to me is that Pharaoh is either younger than Joseph or Pharaoh being older than Joseph recognized the wisdom of the Most High and he's already acknowledged in whom can we find someone who has the Spirit of God. Now, let's say that Pharaoh was older than Joseph. Pharaoh had to come to a place that even though Joseph was younger than he was, the Spirit of God was in him. And so he yielded. But here the Bible says, Joseph says, that God has made me a father to Pharaoh. And we see that Pharaoh placed him over all his house, Lord, and then a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, these are different roles that Joseph is operating in. And here, as Lord of all of his house, Pharaoh gave Joseph not a ring, but his ring, remember? Pharaoh concerned himself about nothing. When the Egyptians came to Pharaoh for inquiry, what did they do? He sent them to Joseph. Joseph was a ruler. He wasn't just over the grain fields. He wasn't just over the grain, but he was a ruler. And it it appears that this one time, some people would think that the only time that Pharaoh came to Joseph was to interpret a dream. But according to the writings, it appears that Pharaoh looked to Joseph for counsel. He looked to Joseph for wisdom. He recognized that Joseph should be the one that is over the land during this time. And it wasn't, listen, it wasn't just over the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. As we continue, we're going to see that Joseph continued to rule afterwards. Before Pharaoh gave Joseph the mandate to send for his family members in verse 17, Joseph had already sent for his father Israel and the households of Israel to come to Egypt and live in Goshen, the best land in Egypt, which Joseph had made his home. Joseph continually reiterated that it was God who made him. Lord of all of Egypt. It was Elohim who set him up. It was Elohim who raised him up, who exalted him. He exalted him above the highest title in the land. He didn't just make him viceroy. He made him father. (laughs) You see this? Father over Pharaoh. Lord, over all of the land of Egypt, it says, verse nine, haste ye and go up to my father and say unto him, thus said thy son, Joseph. Now this is before Pharaoh chimes in a few verses later. It says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me. Don't dilly dally. Don't tarry. Don't waste any time. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, you and your children and your children's children. So what is he saying? Your children, these are your sons and your daughter, and thy children's children, all of their children, and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast, bring everything. Now, These words, children and children's children in this passage and in many passages is the same Hebrew word for son. Now, it's interesting, this word Ben, where you have people talk about as a son, you know, Yosef Ben Israel or whatever Ben means the son of. But this word children is the same word for Ben. And we know that daughter means bot. But when it comes down to children, children doesn't mean son nor daughter. It could mean both. It could mean son, and it could also mean daughter. As we see here, this word Ben 
Obain, its son, grandson, child, member of a group. Son, male, child, grandson, children, either male and female. And some people make the argument that when it comes down to the Torah, that the Torah is only for the men, that assembling is only for the men, that only the men went up to the feast. When Father said the children of Israel, he's speaking both female and male. And some would make the argument that the children means sons. When the fact of it is, based on the text here and the usage, it is obvious from the passage, it is not just referring to the sons, but sons and daughters. What were they supposed to do? Bring the sons up and leave the daughters in the land? No, he said, bring the children, bring, your, bring all your children and your children's children, your sons and daughters. Joseph reveals himself as the one who would nourish them. He says, this word nourish means to seize, to contain, to measure. In other words, he's going to sustain them. He's going to feed them. He's going to support them. That's what that word means. And he says, come on up, y'all. Don't tarry. And there will I nourish thee. Now, he knows full well who has put him in that place. But let me tell you something, because, you know, people want to say, well, you know, I can do nothing of myself. And that is true. I can do nothing of myself. In God, I live, breathe and have my very existence. But can I share something with you? And this is no surprise to anybody. Although we are in him, we have to ask ourselves, do we always obey him? Do we not have the power to disobey? Do we not have the power to rebel? And it's so unfortunate is that there are those who are in him who rebel against him in him. How do you think he's going to deal with that? This is one of the reasons why judgment has to come. Judgment is going to be for the believers and the unbelievers. The unbelievers will have to deal with that lake of fire. Believers have got to deal with that. They got to give an answer and account for the works they have done, for the words we have spoken. We're going to have to give an account for every idle word we speak. And so it's important that as a believer, we walk upright, accordance, circumspect, according to his instructions, his commandments, according to his word. Grace does not excuse rebellion. Grace does not excuse grieving the Holy Spirit. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, when you rebel, when you disobey, you have to confess, you have to acknowledge, right? And he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. What if you don't acknowledge? What if you don't confess? What if you continue in your rebellion after you have come and call yourself a son, call yourself a daughter, by grace are you saved? What if you continue to rebel in him? I wouldn't take that chance. I would encourage you to repent. Now to repent is to acknowledge that you're wrong. And here's where many in him are in trouble because they don't have to, in their mind, repent for not keeping the Sabbath because they're not under the law in him. They don't have to repent for eating unclean because they're not under the law in him. They're under grace in him. <laughs> you see, it's a dangerous place to be, brothers and sisters. Now that we're in him, do we walk contrary to his instructions? Do we rebel against his laws? To some people, it's like, you know what? I understand, and this is why teachers are going to be judged more harsh because there are people who are teaching contrary to the word who call themselves teaching the word. Joseph speaks to them without an interpreter. This is the first time he communicates with them 
without an interpreter present. He sent everybody out of the room. He's with his brothers. And he says, behold, your eyes see and the eyes of my brother, Benjamin, that it is my mouth. I'm speaking directly to you now. Before he spoke through an interpreter, but now he's saying it is my mouth that speaks unto you. Don't you see me talking to you? I've sent everybody out of the room. There's nobody in here now, but you and I, you didn't know I knew your language, did you? How did I know your language? Because I'm one of you. I'm your brother. I've understood everything you've said from the first time you walked up in here. I knew who you were when you first showed up. I hid myself from you because I wanted to see what kind of person you were. And Joseph now is examining them. They don't even know they're being examined. They're speaking in a language thinking he don't understand what they're saying. Said, it is my mouth that speaks to you, and you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt, all my glory (laughs) in Egypt, and all that you have seen, testify. Go tell it. Go tell it on the mountain, but better yet, go tell it to Israel. And you shall haste and bring down my father here. Don't dally. Don't tarry. Don't dilly. Don't wait. Don't go off to the left. Don't go off to the right. Go straight and come straight back. That word glory, kabod, is honor, abundance, riches, splendor. It's all of these. Honor, glorious, honorable. In other words, Joseph is, from their perspective, the highest ranking individual in the land. Why? Because they've been to Egypt several times. They see the power that Joseph wields. They've never met Pharaoh until Joseph reveals himself. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh is in the picture. The first mention of this word is connected to Jacob or Israel. In chapter 31, remember, and he heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's and of that which was our father's has he gotten all this glory. And that word there is associated with riches and abundance. In other words, Jacob came here. He didn't have nothing. And now he somehow managed to obtain all of our father's riches, all of our father's abundance, all of our father's possessions. He came here with nothing and now he is wealthier than our father. And that stuff he got came from our father. So that word, their glory is associated with abundance. Solomon used this word in connection with that which father blesses us with. You see, when father blesses you with abundance, is like sharing his glory with you. It's like sharing his abundance. When he, when he blesses you with his power, when he blesses you with his spirit, when he blesses you with himself, when he comes and dwells with you, he in all of his glory, he and his glory comes to abide in you. Just like Yeshua says, the glory father gave me, I now give to you. And this glory is manifest in a variety of ways. And you'll find that what Solomon says, honor. Glory, glory the Lord, glory Jehovah with your substance, honor him with your substance. Why? Because the honor, the substance that you got, where did it come from? You make the mistake, you can make the mistake when you think that the wealth you have, the stuff that you have is yours. It is he who gives you the power. It is he who gives us the power to get wealth. It is he who makes one rich and makes one poor. It is he who exalts one and takes down another. Honor him with your substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. Don't make the mistake of thinking the stuff you have is yours. You're a steward. We are stewards. Verse 14, and Joseph fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, the 
he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him and the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brethren are come. And it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. So now the word gets to Pharaoh after the fact. And Pharaoh instructs or commands Joseph after the fact. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, say unto your brother. Now Joseph has already said it. This do ye, lay your beasts and go. Get you unto the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come unto me. And I will give you the good of the land and you shall eat the fat of the land. In Egypt. In Egypt. Now, father here is calling his people to Egypt. And their job, their job is to go, go to Egypt. That's their job. Now, when he called them out of Egypt, their job was to leave Egypt. When he called the Babylonians in to take the children of Israel into Babylon, he took them into Babylon. But then he said, now y'all come out of Babylon. Do you know that father is still calling people out of Babylon? Babylon is in Revelation. And Babylon is not just a physical place. Babylon is a mindset. Egypt wasn't just a physical place. Egypt was a mindset because even when the children of Israel left Egypt, their heart was still there. Even when people leave Babylon, many, their heart is still there. It's a mindset. Even when people come out of the world, their heart is still in the world. This is how they straddle the fence. You're either in or you're out, folks. Because if you're in, then you get the goods. You get the fat. If you're straddling, <laughs> you might get the crumbs. You might be struggling. So I'm going to tell you something. There is a struggle with double-mindedness. There's a struggle with being lukewarm. There's a struggle when you're trying to play both sides. There's a struggle when you're in the kingdom and in the world at the same time. Verse 19, now, there, now thou art commanded. Notice Pharaoh says, now thou art commanded, this do ye. Take your wagons out of the land of Egypt and for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Also, don't worry about your stuff. Don't worry about your stuff. Don't regard your stuff for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. In other words, anything good in Egypt is at your disposal. Can you imagine that? <laughs> See, I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, if I may. If you are in the kingdom, in Jehovah, and he has you in the world, then all of the good that is in the world is at your disposal. Just like all of the good of the land of Egypt was at the disposal of the Israelites when he took them, when he called them, when he sent them to go to Egypt. All the good of Babylon was at their disposal. You know, well, I can't say that because he called about a Babylon. <laughs> he didn't send them into Babylon like he sent them into Egypt. They were carried into Babylon because they were rebellious and he called them out and some of them stayed. What did they do? They stayed in their rebellion. When father call you out of the world and you don't come fully out of the world, you are rebellious. You're operating in rebellion while trying to navigate the kingdom. And I'm going to tell you something. You cannot serve two masters. It doesn't work. You're either all in or you're deceived. You can't be partially in brothers and sisters. Believe me when I say that, because there are too many people who are partially in claiming to be all in and they're honoring father with their lips. You know, even having, having people say, well, yeah, you know what? Uh, I'll keep Torah, but I believe I can eat whatever I want. Uh, I keep Torah, but I'm free. I'm under grace. I get to keep Torah. <laughs> I don't have to, but I get to. Really? Yeah, that's when you want on your terms. 
And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, I've seen both sides of that coin. And I know which one works. As stated before, neither the term the land of Israel nor the term the tribes of Israel or tribe of Israel are mentioned in the book of Genesis. Each time the word Israel is used, it is in reference to the man Israel, whom Jehovah changed his name from Jacob to Israel. The closest we come is the children of Israel, as mentioned in this passage, and the sons of Israel mentioned in Hebrews 42, verse 5. It says, And the sons of Israel, the bane of Israel, the bane of Israel came to buy corn amongst those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And again, in both of these passages, the word Ben is used for son and for children. Joseph continued to show favoritism to Benjamin in verse 22. To all of them, he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. And to his father, he sent after this manner, 10 asses laden with the good things of Egypt and 10 she asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So the brothers returned to Israel, their father, not to the land of Israel, but to Israel, their father. So he went because the land of Israel don't exist yet. It doesn't exist until father delivers them some hundreds of years later. So he sent his brethren away. Verse 24, they departed and said unto them, see that you fall not out by the way. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Go straight. Get my pop, get your children, get your stuff and come. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob or Israel, their father. Remember, for some reason here, they use this Jacob and Israel interchangeably because in the next verse or in another verse, verse 26, it says, and told him saying, Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt, governor. And Jacob's heart fainted for he didn't believe them. They didn't believe. And now he don't believe the word governor is used twice in the Torah. There are two Hebrew words for the title governor. And in both is used. The words are in reference to Joseph. The first in reference to Joseph as governor over the land. Genesis 42, six. And Joseph was the governor over the land. And he, it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph brethren came and bowed down before themselves before him with their faces to the earth. The word here is used is shalit, meaning having mastery, dominion, domineering, and the like. Mastery, domineering. The second use in reference to Joseph is as governor over all the land of Egypt. And that word here in verse 26, and told him saying, Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. That word is mashal to rule, to have dominion, to reign. So Joseph reigned. He had dominion over all the land, to rule over all the land. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father revived. It wasn't just the words he spoke, but when he saw the wagons, <laughs> <laughs> the wagon spoke, man. You know, things speak. A broke man, no matter how much wisdom he got, is, 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 is tough to convince people. How can you say father is a healer and you sick? How can you say father is a deliverer and you in bondage? How can you say father is one who makes one rich and you poor? How can you say father meets your needs and your needs aren't met? We don't want to honor him with our lips, because in all of these things, we have to ask ourselves, why aren't I operating and walking in? And that causes us to do some self-examining. Let's make sure that our words and our hearts are aligned with his word. The words that are coming out of our mouth should come out of our heart. And if our heart is in him, then out of the abundance of the heart, what are we going to speak? So you can tell what's in your heart. Just listen to you talk. Carry your tape recorder around during the course of a day. See how many words you use over the course of a day and how many of those words used over the course of the day was bringing glory and honor to the Almighty. You'll see what's in your heart if you just listen to you talk. The Bible is true. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know what's in your heart? 
listen to your words. And Israel said, not Jacob, Israel said. Now, in the previous verse, it used Jacob. Verse 26, and Jacob's heart fainted. And then in verse 28, it says, and Israel says, so which one is he, Jacob or Israel? Or is he both? No, when father changed his name to Israel, he became Israel to father. Now, I know the translators because some people say, well, it seems like in some of these verses. Yeah, but notice those verses are in English. Somehow they got translated. We don't see the actual writings that got translated for them. We just see the English translations. Now, if father called him Israel and says, your name will no longer be Jacob, then it only seems to me that if father spoke those words, that he would call him Israel from then on. And what would he expect us to call him? Israel. So there's some interchange and I don't fully understand that. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. So centuries before Hebrew ruled over the land of Israel, centuries before there was a land of Israel, Joseph, a Hebrew, ruled over the land of Egypt. Joseph was a Hebrew Israelite. Why? Because he was one of the sons of Israel. Joseph was Israel's deliverance. Joseph was Lord of the land. Joseph was a father to Pharaoh. Joseph was ruler over Egypt. Joseph was governor of the land. Joseph was governor over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was Lord of Egypt. Joseph was a nourisher. And so father gave Joseph the responsibility to be many things. Israel's deliverance, Lord of the land, father to Pharaoh, ruler of Egypt, nourished Egypt and Israel, governor of the land, governor over all the land of Egypt, Lord of Egypt. And finally, in closing, to walk in these responsibilities and fulfill his calling in the kingdom, Joseph had to forgive his brothers and recognize it was Jehovah allowing these things to happen in order to carry out his will in the earth and in Joseph and also in our lives. Next week, Israel goes to Egypt. So what I see in this passage and what I want to leave you all with, because I know that circumstances, I deal with it in my own life, in my own family. As a father, I've had to make some tough choices. And I know that as a a boss, I too make tough choices. As a friend, I've had to make tough choices. As a husband, I've had to make tough choices. As a pastor, a minister, an apostle, an overseer, I've had to make tough choices. The choices that we make, the tough choices that we make most, if not all the time, seem to be related to honoring and obeying Jehovah. For us to walk, to honor, and to obey Jehovah, he puts us in positions to where we have to make tough choices when it comes down to our families, when it comes down to our relationships, when it comes down to our employment, when it comes down to our health. In every aspect of our lives, if we intend to align our lives up with Jehovah, then it forces us to go contrary to the people of the world, which we were born into. And that will require us to make some tough choices. In making those tough choices, things will occur. Joseph's problems came because he starts talking about what God was doing in his life. He had a dream and he's excited about his dream and only to find out the people he was telling his dreams weren't excited about his dreams. The father will give you things that excite you and you go and tell other people and they ain't excited about it. In fact, they despise you for it. They can hate you for it. They can hate you more. Oh boy, here come that dreamer. Oh boy, here come that babbler. Oh boy, here come that Jesus freak, that Jehovah freak, that Yeshua freak. 
Oh boy, here come that person. Every time he opens his mouth, he want to quote a scripture. Every time she opens her mouth, she want to talk about the Bible. I don't want to hear nothing about no Bible. Do that stuff on Sunday or Sabbath or whatever day you go to church. Now, wait a minute. You're the same person who say every day is holy. You're the same person who say every day, you know, is a day of rest. You're the person who say you can worship every day. I start talking to you about worship. Now, all of a sudden, you want to keep me, confine me to Sunday or Sabbath. See, everybody ain't excited about the truth. Now, people, you, could, you could tell people stuff they read in books and all that other stuff. And folks get excited about some of that. But after a while, they want their turn to talk, right? And so as a woman of God, as a man of God who, who want to walk upright in the word, you're forced to make difficult decisions that is going to cause there to be a gap, if you would, between you and the ones you communicate with. And so that gap is designed for you to back up off of the word and try to be reconciled to the people that are in the world that is of the world, which means that now you, you're going to put your relationship there's a strain that you put on your relationship with the almighty. I know for a fact that we can have relationship both with the almighty and with the people in the world, but there will come a point to where the people in the world is going to either come, they're going to either cross over or you're going to have to shake the dust. They're either going to cross over. You're going to have to shake the dust. And then in the process, there's going to be hurts things said, things done to where you're going to have to forgive. We have to be a forgiving people to walk in the calling of the kingdom. You can't hold on to stuff and walk in the kingdom. Now you can hold on to stuff and walk in the world, but you can't hold on to stuff and walk in the kingdom because father is going to constantly be trying to get that out of you. Why? because he knows that that's something the enemy can use against you. The enemy can use your unforgiveness against you to train wreck you, to sidetrack you, to sideline you. And that's why we got to get all of the world out of us, all of the bitterness, all of the hate, all of the unforgiveness out of us so that Father can fully and wholly consume us. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.